Romans. That's where we're at. You can turn to Romans chapter 8 meet me there in just a little bit as we study through three verses this morning. While we're doing that, a little uh, housekeeping stuff for Oakwood. Uh, by being gone a couple Sundays ago and watching the service online, I still know we've got a lot to do to fix our audio issues. It's not good. Uh, but what I would encourage you to do is, um, if you're watching online, just, you know, you can turn the volume down a little bit during the worship set until we get that fixed. But when a, a person is preaching, it's fine. You can hear that on a phone or a tablet or a computer, so tune back in to watch the message if you're not here, but we are fixing that. We are working hard to try to fix that audio problem. Second thing I noticed, nobody likes to sit in this this section right here, all right? So those of you who are watching online, it looks like there's like three people here today. So you people's on the side, um, and I think what we need to do is just have a rotation and get some people in there, and yes, if you've got one of these uh, little bald spots, you might not want to be there because it's glowing in the whole thing, but uh, we do need people to sit right there in these first three rows. So I don't know, I might have to start handing out presents or something, right? Uh, a little little bit of uh, uh, motivation to do that. But that would be nice because uh, all of our things are going out online and people are watching those all around the country. And uh, we, we want to make sure that it looks like somebody's actually here. All right, so let's pray together this morning. Are you ready? Would you pray this prayer? Would you say, God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give that prayer to God. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. And God, may you be glorified. May everyone hearing this be edified and may Satan be horrified in Jesus' name. Amen. Ah. Before I start the message in Romans, this is our new logo for the, the, the series that will start this Christmas, the Gift Exchange. And we're excited to be doing a gift exchange family-wide here at Oakwood. You can be a part of that. Sign up today or next Sunday if you're going to participate. And then, uh, the, then the third week, you can actually pick up an envelope that has the name of the family household that you'll be getting a gift for. We talked about all that last week. I printed it out yesterday. If you want more information, you can call the office. But if you're going to participate... You just got to get your name in. I noticed yesterday I put our name in, but I thought, oh no, what if Julie puts our name in? So I don't know. Melissa and Margaret, you got to get on that because I don't know if multiple people are going to do it from a household because it's a household. Julie and I both don't need to register. I registered already. You don't need to, sweetie. All right. So we're set. Our family's set. So one person from a household, do that. Or you can just stop at the Oak today so there's no confusion. Talk to one of our people there and be a part of that. That being said, that means it is time. This Saturday, we take everything down and we put up Christmas. I love Christmas. Can I just say, my wife won't let me do it. I'm going crazy. I'm going, there are people in my neighborhood already lighting up and my lights are there, but she won't let me plug them in. I got to wait. She actually believes in like doing Thanksgiving first. I know. She actually believes in doing Halloween first. That's the problem. I, I, I would start mid-October with my Christmas lights. But, but anyways, we're waiting until this weekend. Uh, but this Saturday, the church gets totally decorated for Christmas. And we need your help. I think it's 10 o'clock, 10 a.m. Saturday. Uh, we need just people to come. Uh, we're putting up wreaths and trees and decorating. It's just a, we need hands. So if you have any kind of a concept of decorating, come help Pastor out. He is not a finished work guy, okay? Uh, so it'll look better if you come help us out. Be here Saturday at 10 o'clock. And uh, I'm excited about the gift exchange series. It's going to be good. 
this morning in Romans. This is the last one of this set until we uh, gather again in the new year sometime because we're going to do a Thanksgiving message next week, four weeks of Christmas, uh, and it's going to be great. But today, uh, we're ending with, uh, really, we got to go there, the hardest part of Romans. I'm going to read for you three verses today, and I'm just going to tell you, let me just just be very transparent. There has been more fighting in Christianity about these three verses than over anything else in Scripture. Uh, This morning, when when Paul writes these words, he has started a debate that rages on to this day, and greater people than I have stood on a stage and tried to explain it and not had agreement. So this morning, let me just make a couple quick statements. If you leave here and say, our pastor nuts. Well, join the club. There's a lot of you that think that. All right. Number two, I'm okay with that. Number three, don't be angry. There's, there's no reason to leave angry today because people greater than us for centuries have not agreed on these issues. I'm going to present to you the best way I possibly can these three verses, and I'm not going to ask you to sign a document that you agree with me, so you're okay. It's all right. If you need to go and have roast pastor for lunch, you can do that. All right. But just come back and smile and be nice at me. Okay, because we're friends. You don't always have to agree. Once again, the best pizza in the world is deep dish Chicago Geno's East, right? Everybody agrees, right? Okay, well, there you go. We can be friends. You don't have to agree with a thought or a preference, um, but I'm going to lay it out there as best I can, not to to make you mad. Again, there's really no reason to be angry about these kind of things. Because again, we've been divided on this forever. Good people have been divided on this. So uh, you're like, what in the world's in these verses? <laughs> it's a great way to kind of get it ready. Okay, let me read them for you. And then you'll say, oh, we're going there. Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. Now, you said, wait, Pastor Ben did that. I know, but, but the verses I'm going to bring up to you have to go with this verse because the next word is for, and so when you got a four there, you, you got, it's, it's tied into the verse before that, right? And remember, Ben did a good job. Pastor Ben stood here and told you that this verse for the good, Paul is talking future tense. It's a not yet tense. God's still going to do something. Your whole life, right? God is working for the good, right? We know as believers, the blessed hope is God will come, take us away from this to a place where there is no more sorrow, tears, cancer, Alzheimer's, and you name it, financial. I mean, all that's going to be wiped away, but that's future tense. Everybody say, not yet. God is working. That's the number one thing you need to remember. God is working, right? And so... That verse there, I won't keep going in it, but I, I will say this. There's a lot of ways you could read that verse. Uh, Paul is going to kick me in the shin when I get to heaven. Uh, Paul is the master run-on sentence writer. I'm not going to pick on his writing style or whatever because it's been translated into English. But Paul, he, he like gives... 20 points in one sentence where it should have been 20 sentences, right? He just goes on and on and on and probably because he, he writes like I preach. You say something and then think I better clean that up. Oh, I better clean that up. I better clean that up. Hey, shiny things, squirrel. Uh, I, I think that's kind of what's going on with Paul, right? And so there's a lot of ways you can try to understand that verse I just read. Let me give you a couple of other ways you could read it. That all things work together for good to those who love God or that in all things, God works together with those who love him to bring about what is good. I like that one. I like that one. To bring about what is good. 
Again, not everything that happens in your life is good. There are bad things that happen here because this is not heaven. Sin, curse, world. (laughs) Things happen that are bad, right? So don't ever go to somebody and say, no, it's all good. It's all good. God's work. God did this. No, no, don't. Sometimes things are bad. Just love people, right? Hug people when bad things happen. But we know that God, the end goal, the end, end run is good. That's what God is doing. So a couple of things we need to embrace now before I read the next verses, questions you need to ponder today. Does God allow things to happen or does God cause things to happen? Think about it in your mind, try to answer, not out loud. But does God allow things to happen in life or does he cause things to happen in life? That's something you need to contemplate this morning. I believe that God is sovereign. The word sovereign means supreme ruler, possessing supreme ultimate power. Therefore, there is nothing out of God's control. I believe God is sovereign. Whether he causes things to happen or he allows things to happen, nothing is a surprise to God. You need to know that. Nothing, is, nothing can be a surprise. If it surprises God, he's not God. Nothing surprises him. He doesn't allow anything to happen where he doesn't know the outcome of it. He does. He cannot be omniscient and not know something. Our God is omniscient, all-powerful. And so keep that in your mind as we process these tough verses. Are you with me? Everybody say yes, PD. I'm I'm stalling because I got to do it. Here we go. 29 and 30. Here we go. For those God did foreknow, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he did predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What we have here in this passage is hard things, hard words. And if you're a new believer today, I do not want to put this in your mind to upset you. I don't want you to leave here rattled or shaken, but it is in scripture and we must deal with it. As your pastor, I always promise, I don't pick things to talk on that are controversial, but when they come up in our process, I've got to deal with them. And so here we have a verse that gives us the ordo salutis, is what it's been called for centuries. The ordo salutis, the order of salvation. What happened? How could we possibly be saved? Can I tell you very clearly this morning to answer that? God, that's the answer. God, period. God acts. If God does nothing, no one gets saved. Amen? Do you understand that concept? So God must act, and he acts first. In our small group on Thursday nights, we were watching a video, and and I like what they said. You either have the concept of but God or but I. But God or but I. We know we have a sin problem, right? We're all born sinners because of your mom and dad and their mom and dad, all the way from grandpa, great-grandpa, Adam and Eve. We are born with a sin problem. How do we deal with the sin problem? It's either but God or but I. If you believe that God is the answer from the beginning and he acts, then the answer is but God. So we're dead in our sins, but God chose to save us. Sent his son Jesus. God did all these things. Or you can decide... I'm a terrible sinner, but I am going to attend church. I'm a terrible sinner, but, but I am going to try really hard to stop sinning. 
You can either have a but God solution or a but I solution. Many people choose the but I solution because we're used to performance-based living, right? Good performance last night, by the way, the girls that are there. You guys did a great job at the high school. Wonderful production. Only thing that ever worries me about it is our whole culture is performance-based. And, and if it went really bad last night, you would feel really bad and think that everybody, but you did a great job. So we pat you guys on the back because you did a great job. But you know what? The problem with that is we learn from a young age, I must perform to be loved or appreciated, right? And if I don't perform, then I must not be loved. How does that transfer into theology? It's either but God or but I. I have a sin problem, but I'm going to try really hard. But what if you fail? I have a sin issue that's got to be dealt with, but I plan on giving money to the church. How much is enough to buy your salvation? I mean, you see what I'm saying? It's performance-based. Everything in life is performance-based. But God or but I. The only thing we know about Scripture that is very important for you to concept today is the answer is but God. Thank God the answer is God, not me. Because I don't have what it takes. I don't have enough of what it takes to earn salvation. It's God. So let's talk about this. What, what's the big issue with this verse? Well, understanding difficult scripture. When you come upon a section like this, how, how can I proceed? This is a little bit of uh, uh, hermeneutics for you this morning. Number one, interpret difficult text, consider clearer text. When you come upon two verses, don't just stop right there. Find out where, where, where else in the Bible does it talk about this issue? I need some other references. I gotta, let me cross references. So you've got to find the clearer text. Sometimes it might be written clearer than here. Maybe not, but maybe there's something clearer that can help you. Number two, interpret text considering the overall teaching of Scripture on a subject, comparing Scripture with Scripture. So use the entire Bible to understand the Bible. If you don't understand two verses, maybe in Ephesians or maybe in Colossians or maybe in 1 Corinthians, somewhere there might be something to give you some clarity, okay? Third thing, think through each text in context of the author's purpose and flow of thought. So for centuries, great people have argued, I mean argued, about this passage. God chose people to be saved. It's called election. If you believe in election, the other people say, no, I believe in free will. You got the free willies and you got the elections and they just, oh, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're stupid, you're dumb, I hate you, we're form new churches. And then we got different churches that disagree with each other on this one thing and there's a big fight. And you know what? If you look at this point, what was Paul's purpose for writing this verse? It's what you really need to get today. And it's our big idea. Your salvation is secure. Paul was not writing these two verses to teach theology to a bunch of theologian students who would argue about it ad nauseum. That wasn't his point. Who's he been talking to? Believers in the church in Rome. Both the Jews and the Greeks together form one church. They believe in Jesus, right? There's been people that have taken this and said, well, it only refers to Israel. No, Paul's not all of a sudden just talking to Israel when he's been talking to the church. Come on. Read the context. What is he trying to say? Paul is not all of a sudden trying to say, here's a really deep nugget you guys should argue about forever. No, he's talking to Christian people in a church and he wants them to know 
You have nothing to be afraid of. Your salvation is secure because it's all about God, not you. Your salvation's okay. You can't lose it. You can't ruin it. You can't blow it. You can't be more loved. You can't be less loved. God acted and God will complete. That's Paul's point in these two verses. So you got to back off a little bit and say, okay, what is he trying to get across? Fourth thing, when unclear, trust the revealed character of God. One of the worst things you can do today is leave and say, whoa, pastor just dropped a bomb about election. God chose people to be saved. That means he chose people to go to hell. God's terrible. That would be a bad choice to make. If you leave today saying God is awful, then you did not get the truth of scripture because God's character reigns supreme and his character is justice, rightness, love, mercy, grace. So his character does not change when you come to a difficult passage. If your answer is, well, this is God, he's a bad person, then you didn't get it. You didn't get it. All right? Now, because of that, I will say, people have tried to fix God, and they've come up with some really weird answers to this, this question, trying to make it fit our human context. So let's, let's, let's look at the ordo salutis after we talk about this. Okay, so who are the big proponents? There's two big, just so you can use fancy terms if you want to argue at lunch, there's two sides of this. It's called Calvinism versus Arminianism. And let's just show you the dudes, all right? We got two ancient guys with really bad clothes, with beards, and one of them's named John Calvin. He lived from 1509 to 1564. Jacobus Arminius lived from 1560 to 1609. The first thing you need to realize is, Man, these guys did not live long, and they look a lot older than me, and I'm older than both of them. Amen? All right, you're not with me this morning. A little slow, right? I'm looking at these pictures saying, are you serious? These guys were only that old? And they didn't live very long, but they sure caused a whole mess of a problem. Because there are people today that still say, I'm a Calvinist. And there are people that say, no, no, I'm an Arminian. I'm an Arminius, and, and Calvinists are wrong. Arminians are wrong. And, we got wrong. <laughs> and I've heard people say, no, I'm not a Calvinist. Yes, you are. I'm just going to tell you, all y'all are Calvinists this morning. Y'all are. Let me, I'm going to give you the points of Calvinism. And, and here's the thing. In our context, it's either you're a five-point Calvinist, a four-point Calvinist, a three-point Calvinist, a two-point Calvinist, or a one-point Calvinist. He's got five main tenets. I guarantee this morning you at least agree with one of his points. Probably two. And so what does that make you? Well, you're a very bad Calvinist, but you're a Calvinist. You're not laughing. You're, you're not with me this morning. I'm so a mess. So there's two bearded guys that started this whole thing, and they argued. I've got books in my office. Oh, they argued. And then there are people who came after them. They argued, uh, Calvin's right. Arminius is right. Hey, listen, if you've got to pick ancient people with beards, I'm going to go with this guy. Don't call me a Calvinist. Don't call me an Arminian. I'm, not gonna fo- I'm a Jesus follower, okay? Why do we have to take sides of people from the 17th century? So if you're really entrenched in this stuff and love these arguments, back off. Be a Jesus follower, right? Trust in Jesus. And why do we got to align with either Calvin or Arminius? You don't have to. Let's just talk about the Calvin tulip. To understand Calvinism, they use the acronym TULIP, right? And that's a very nice PowerPoint I've got there. So the TULIP stands for total depravity. 
What is total depravity? Total depravity teaches that we are sinners from birth. Anybody agree with that? Y'all are Calvinists. That's my point. <laughs> Stop saying I'm not a Cal- you're, You can't be a Calvinist. You can't be blah, blah, blah. We agree with Calvin. Calvin got this right. We're sinners from birth. And then he goes on to unconditional election. Won't explain it. You won't like it. Then I go into limited atonement. Honestly, I remember my pastor preaching this when I was 13. And I decided at 13, that can't be true. Limited atonement teaches that Christ only died for the people God chose to save. And I read John 3.16 and say, that can't be true. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I believe that the call for salvation is for all. I believe it. I don't believe that Jesus, when he went to the cross, was only dying for the ones he knew he was saving. I I believe Jesus was dying for the sins of the whole world, but it was only going to be effective for those who believe. Did you understand that? It's effective for all. He wasn't just going to the cross because he loved just saved people. He's going to the cross for everybody. Why did God send Jesus? For the world. The world. It did not say, for God so loved the elect. Amen? For God so loved good people. No. no. For God so loved the world. So I have a problem with this one. So I'm a terrible Calvinist too. All right? Uh, And then you come to irresistible grace. People that God chose have to get saved. They have no choice about it. There's no free will. You will be saved. I have a problem with that too. Because I see a lot of people who are very obstinate and they refuse grace. And some could say, well, they're not the elect. I, you know, okay, listen. I believe that what Paul teaches in these verses is true and that there is no salvation if God doesn't act, but I also believe free will exists. I also believe. And you're like, PD, you can't. You gotta choose. No, I don't. I believe in a God who's so big that when we talk about his ways, they don't have to make sense in our logical mind. Our, our logical mind is so finite, it's so small, and God is infinite. I believe that it's true that God can choose the elect, and that elect must also choose him. The Bible says, choose you this day whom you will serve. Why say that, Bible, if everybody who's going to is going to choose? Yes, no, I think there's free will. I think there is. I think the Bible is clear that the gospel needs to be preached to everyone and everyone has an opportunity to believe. But I also believe what Paul taught here was true. So I have a really hard time with the L. I have a really hard time with the I. But then we come to the P. P is perseverance of the saints. God will complete his work. I believe in that. I believe in that. I got the T and the P and I'm in, man. I'm I'm a two-point Calvinist at least. Sometimes I'm a three-point, but I'm a two-point, really solid Calvinist. And I've heard people tell me, I'm not going to come to this church if you're a Calvinist, Pastor. What, I can't believe in total depravity? I can't believe in perseverance of the saints? No. I mean, come on, people. Again, why do we draw lines with 17th century bearded weird guys? Why? How about we just look at the Bible, read the whole thing, and follow Jesus, and trust God? So because of all these things... There's the ordo salutis, the order of salvation. So in this verse, we've got several things. This, 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 and happen. And so man, of course, has tried to take Paul and bullet point him and say, okay, so what happens first? This must happen, this must happen, this must happen. And you'll be surprised how many there are. We see in this verse, there is a foreknowledge. To those he did foreknow, 
And we know that's true. Psalm 139 is my favorite verse in all the scripture. You knew me before the creation of the world. You know every word that's on my tongue, even before I speak them. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty, I cannot attain it. Right? We know that the Bible teaches God knows. So before he created the world, he knew Jim Bongiorno. He knew how many hairs he would have on his head and how many would fall out. He knew. Because the Bible tells us these things. He knew you. Every day of your life, Jim, was written in the book before one of them came to be. I'm quoting scripture right now. Foreknowledge. It's a fact. How could God be God if he didn't know? So he knows. God is sovereign. Predestination. God chooses. And by the way, all these are there in your notes, and they have verses. Do some cross-referencing, studying about this. The Bible teaches predestination. I I won't go into it. I won't explain it. I won't even tell you you have to like it. But I'm going to refer back to God's character. Just because this is true doesn't mean God's character is marred. The Bible says those he did foreknow, and I wish Paul would have just left it there and then we could have all been ambiguous, but he adds to Scripture very clearly to those he did foreknow, he also did choose, predestined. Now let me ask you this, just try to concept this. How could God be God and have things become a surprise to him? You just have to understand who is God and his sovereignty and supremacy. How could he be God and say, I wonder who's going to get saved. I wonder who's going to get in. When you look at it from God's point of view, there is no other option, but God does something. And Paul teaches us God foreknew, but he also did predestine. And then atonement, God purchases. Notice the first two actions happened before creation. Okay? These things happen to happen before creation. And then we have Jesus who comes at Christmas dies at Easter that we celebrate, God purchases us. And then we've got a calling. Then God calls whosoever will. (laughs) Free will, by the way. Whosoever will shall come. The call, the gospel call goes out. We join in this process by sharing the gospel with people. And so the calling happens. Then regeneration happened. God makes us alive. And then justification. God declares us righteous. And then adoption which you taught last week. God claims us. And then sanctification. God purifies us. And then perseverance. God preserves us. All these things happen. And can I ask you who does them? Look at the list. What does each sentence start with? God. God. So you're like, where am I in this process? Okay, there's another whole fight in Christianity about where salvation happens on this. I left it out. (laughs) Took the easy way out. Does it happen somewhere after the calling? Or does God have to do a regeneration to make you come to life so you were dead in our sins? There's been a lot of arguments on this. Not important right now. My only point is, who does all the work? Help me out. Who does all the work? You got one choice this morning. But God or but I? But God or but I? I don't care where you fall on the tulip. I don't care where you want to leave today saying, I don't agree with PD. At the end of the day, we must agree salvation is of God, not of you. That's why I didn't even put you on this list. Yes, somewhere along this list, there needs to be believe and confess, right? That's when it becomes yours. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved in your household, right? Believe. Choose you this day whom you will serve. 
A choice needs to be made. But I don't put it on the list today because the ordo, ordo salutis is the order of salvation. It's all about God. Okay, the last thing is glorification. God will persevere or preserve us all the way to the end, and then God will consummate that adoption. Remember this whole story about adoption? I'm coming back to get you. He will come and get us, and then our salvation, we are glorified, right? We will have glorified bodies. We go to heaven. Yay. This is all what God does. So Norman Geisler, I think I, I fall in line with what Norman says. I don't know if he has a beard. Definitely wasn't 17th century, but I like what Norman Geisler said. We have a real choice about what we do. God made us that way so that we could freely love. But in making us that way, he also allowed for the possibility of evil. To be free, we had to have not only the opportunity to choose good, but also the ability to choose evil. That was the risk God knowingly took. That doesn't make him responsible for evil. He created the fact of freedom. We perform the acts of freedom. He made evil possible. Men made evil actual. So again, how do you answer my first question? Does God cause things to happen or does he allow things to happen? I think Norman is on the side of free will. You must choose. You don't have to agree with me. If you're a five-point Calvinist today and you're like, whoever's going to be saved is going to be saved. We don't have to do anything about it. I would ask you then, why do you witness? Why would we pray for somebody to be saved? I mean, if you're, if you're really far down one of these paths, the rest of Scripture, it doesn't make any sense, right? The Lord tells us to pray. We've got to pray for people to be saved. And we ought to preach the gospel so that whosoever will may answer to all people. I've never, I've never had an outreach event and said, to all the elect, come so I can share the gospel. No, to the world. Tell the gospel to the world. And they choose free will. So here's my points for today and we'll be done. Salvation is from God. Hey friends, what is Paul's point of preaching? Your salvation is secure. He's not teaching this to have some argument for centuries. He's teaching this to let Christians know it's all about God. Therefore, he's going to take care of it. And if you could leave here today just saying, okay, it's hard to understand, but God, I trust you. I trust you. So number one, if we're going to leave here with that confidence, our salvation is secure because God originated it. God originated our salvation by setting his love on us before time began. Ephesians 1.4. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Again, if you're struggling with these things, please read the references. You cannot, you don't have an option of saying, I'm on this team and therefore I don't believe anything that Paul said. That, that's not a good option. You cannot say, I'm on team Arminius, and therefore, you, you can't just pick and choose. If it's in Scripture, to me, it's true. And, and that's why I would say, if you leave today and say, ah, he's full of hogwash, this whole election, and, and this predestination thing doesn't exist, well, I'm a biblicist. I have to deal with the text. I can't just cut some out. So in Ephesians, again, he chose us in him. Before the creation of the world. God originated it. Secondly, God originated our salvation by predestining us to be conformed to the image of his son. In Colossians 1.18, we hear that he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead. So that in everything he might have supremacy. Once again, how could God be supreme if things are going to surprise him? 
How could he be sovereign? And things are out of his control. Ephesians 1.11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm so sorry. I, just, <laughs> I have a hard time with this. It's in the book. It's in the book. If you leave today and still, your only argument is, PD's a poo-poo head. <laughs> it's, it's not. I'm just trying to teach what's in the book. And, and, and I'm sorry, but when he doubles up on chosen predestined, it's, it's just pretty in your face right here, okay? Uh, Those in him we were chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. It's kind of a repeat of the verse 28. God works together for the good of them. Everything has a purpose and is moving toward God's end. God is originating our salvation. Started with him. I know some of you thought, I figured it out. I realized I needed salvation. I went to church. I gave money and started serving. None of that is salvation. Salvation is this. Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose again, he was buried and rose again for you and for me. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. God did that, not me. Number two, our salvation is secure because God effected it. When I say effected it, um, I mean, probably not a good word to use during uh, COVID and things like that. Not, 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 not infected. It, it's effect. He makes it effectual. He makes it actually happen, right? So God makes my salvation happen. He effected it. God effected our salvation by calling us. There's a general call. Whosoever will may come. That's a general call in scripture. Let me give you some examples of a general call. Mark 1, 15. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent, believe the good news. That's a general call for all people. Repent and believe the good news. I, I believe that was said to everybody. And then Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all. Everybody say all. All who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. If that was not... Uh, if, if it's only for the elect, then it would say, come to me, all who I chose to be saved. And, and if you're weary, you're bur- no, it says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy. But those are general calls. But there is something called an effectual call. I'm going to give the illustration, and, and you might have notes that have the wrong reference here. I originally was going to do John 11, 25, and 26, but I like John 11, 41 through 44 better for this. And it, it's the story of Lazarus. Let me give it to you. This is a very specific effectual call. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you're always, you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out with a loud voice, come out. Is that what he said? All right. I'm making sure you're following me here now. Okay. He said, Lazarus. Come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said, take those clothes off him and let him go. You're like, what does this have to do with a specific call? If Jesus stands in a cemetery and says, come out, a lot of dead people are coming out. If he gave a general call here, you'd have a bunch of mummies running around. We're talking about um, uh, from the dead, right? Uh, What's that series called? Whatever the... Walking dead. You got the walking dead. You know, if Jesus walks in the cemetery and says, rise, we got a problem. 
All the dead people are going to rise. So when Jesus goes into an area where there's dead people, he's got to say specifically, Lazarus, and only Lazarus, come out. (laughs) Why? Because that's an effectual call. That's a specific calling for a specific person. So I'm trying to explain the difference between a general and the effectual call. God effected our salvation by justifying us. What does that mean? God declares us legally righteous, free from the liability because Jesus bore the penalty. That's what God does. God is the judge with the gavel and he slams it down and says, you're pure and right, righteous and pure, holy. God does that. We don't do that. God does it for us. Our salvation is secure because God will complete it. It isn't up to you to perform it. Now, I know there's, there's scriptures that say work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but it, it does not mean that you can lose your salvation if you don't try hard enough or if you fail. If you're truly saved, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and ask him to save you, you are saved. Why? Because God does that. Doesn't that help you? It helps me. Because when I know it's all on me, we're in trouble. I might blow it. I might forget something. we're building, we're we're not, PD has big ideas. I'm a visionary, and then other people have to mop up the mess. So I came to Jim over a month ago at a board meeting. I'm like, Jim, I need some big Christmas boxes. He's like, how big? And I'm like, that big. You know, that's how I measure things. That big. He's like, holy cow. What are these made out of? Wood. You can make them out of PVC, but I think wood's going to be best. And Jim's like, I'm on it. I love that. He's on it. Once these wooden boxes are made, they got to be covered with a, the perfect fabric that will have lights inside that will shine out and be really pretty. I've got a picture of what they should look like. So I, I ask Tracy and Fran. I'm like, Tracy and Fran, would you guys help me cover these things? They're like, what are you covering them with? I don't know. I bought some material. Tracy looked at it and said, that's not going to work. I'm like, why not? She, she took it and put it on the box, and it was wrong. I'm like, no. Then I was in the office when I found out the right material to use. And then I'm in the office and I'm talking to Margaret. And Margaret's listening to me talk about this material. And she's like, what, 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 are, you, what are you doing? And she's like, okay, that's called jersey material. And she calls Joanne Fabrics for me. And, and she's like, okay, all right, yeah, they have some. How much do you need? I'm like, oh, we got 12 boxes and they're big. We called Jim to get the actual size of the boxes, right? And Jim's like, I've been telling you for a month, you need 45 yards of material. And, and Margaret passed out, full, just passed out on the ground. No, she didn't really. She looked at me and she goes, oh, that's a lot. I'm like, is it? I don't, I don't, I guess in football, that's half a football field almost, right? That's a, it's, 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 it's like half a football field and a five-yard penalty, boom. Yeah, that's a, I guess that's a lot. I don't even know. What do they sell this in? Margaret's like, it's either this size or this size. And she's talking about it. And so sure enough, I go to Joanne Fabrics this week to get the fabric. And and she's like, oh, you're so lucky. We have a spool. I'm like, how much is that? She goes, that's eight yards. I'm like, okay, I need five more. She goes, what? Nobody has that much. What are you going to, what are you going to? I'm like, man, everybody's freaking out. Why is this so hard? Well, number one, I don't do math. I have big ideas and I don't do math. So there's people like Jim that goes, oh my goodness, pastor's crazy. Margaret's like, he's nuts. Tracy and Fran got to make it happen. Next week when you come in, there's going to be these gift boxes. And I'll stand here and say, I did that. And you're all going to know. No, you didn't. (laughs) 
You're lucky you've got people that pick up the pieces, right? That's why I'm so glad salvation isn't mine to do. It's not me. It's not on me. It's nothing about me. And that makes me so happy. I'm so glad that God says, Don, not a chance. I got you. It was my idea. I made it happen. I provided all the details. And I'm going to make sure you show up because it's mine. It's all mine. It's, you're in my hand, Don. Guys, I can't blow it. I can't measure wrong. I can't buy the wrong material. There's nothing I can do in my salvation that's going to blow it. And that's why I stand here today and say, this might seem to be hard theology and people might want to choose to fight about it. And I just said, maybe I'm just more simple. I just say, thank you, God. My salvation is secure because it has nothing to do with me and my abilities. Thank you for loving me. God, I don't understand. Did you choose me specifically? Did you call just me? Did you decide to put your love on me? I don't know. I don't know how God did all that. I can tell you, however you choose to understand it, it doesn't make God bad because then he wouldn't be God. And so I can walk out of here and say, my God loves me from before I was ever created. And he's going to take me home. And that makes me secure in my salvation. He's going to complete it. God will complete our salvation because Jesus will be glorified. This might make you happy if you think, well, maybe I'm not, maybe he's going to choose not to take me because I didn't do it right. Hey, don't forget it. If he doesn't do what he said he would, it's bad on him and Jesus. Hebrews 2.10 says, if bringing, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect or glorified through what he suffered. Jesus died on a cross, and unless we come home, unless God completes the salvation, what's the point of it all? We just got a dead Savior. We got a martyred Savior. No. No, we have a Savior. Why? Because people are going to be saved. That brings glory to Jesus, the fact that God will bring you and me home. So number one, Jesus is glorified. Number two, we will be glorified. God will complete our salvation by glorifying us to the image of Christ. 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but that we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Friends, God's going to complete the work of salvation and glorify you. We will be in glory someday. Glory. As Pastor Spencer used to say, glory. Because he's going to glorify us. He's going to make our, our earthly tent full of holes and the zipper's broken, everything. It just, it's, it's falling apart, this earthly tent we live in. And he's going to give us heavenly bodies glorified bodies. All of that is what God does. I'm satisfied with that. So in conclusion today, our Heavenly Father wants you to know that your salvation is secure because He originated it. He affected it. He will bring it to completion when Christ returns. Salvation is from God. Put your trust in Him. I preached it. I'm going to just let you take it. I pray that it doesn't cause fights or quarrels among you. I pray that it doesn't make you not like your pastor. Uh, I, I pray that you will appreciate the fact when hard things come up, 
we deal with it the best we can and we follow what Scripture says. That's the best I can do. I'm going to ask the team to come up. And I asked them to sing a different They were going to close with a different song, but they sang Blessed Assurance. I mean, I mean, come on, that's what Paul was getting at. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. What is it? Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. That's salvation. It's what God does. Let me pray for us and we'll sing us out. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray today that this wouldn't cause consternation. God, I pray this, this kind of a message wouldn't cause quarrel and fighting among us. God, I just pray that out of this passage, you would help us to understand that you love us. God, that you are salvation. There's salvation in no other name. God, I just pray that we would leave today knowing that our salvation is secure, not because of us, but because of you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.